Backed up the data. The head of information finished scanning the shift text notes for Area 8 and leaned over her shoulder to look at her computer screen. Subject 22 appears to be abnormal, off program. Let's take a closer look at the images. The tech clicked her mouse quickly through the static scenes. The image on the screen changed from an empty living area with one lamp burning to a darkened kitchen area. The kitchen was a mess with dirty plates and pots and glasses stacked on every surface. Food containers had been left open, unrefrigerated. The next image was a long, empty hallway with large windows on one side. After that, a bedroom. This is Subject 22, sleeping in Subject 1's bed, since she isn't there, the tech said. During the day, he's mostly been practicing flying, but at night, he's been restless, not sleeping deeply. It could be that his circadian rhythms haven't stabilized yet. His physio readings suggest that he's anxious or unhappy. Yes, his prime focus went away. I see. Before he went to sleep, he walked around the room, examining everything, touching everything, even smelling things. He's imprinting, said the head of information. That's good. But the notes indicate he's made no attempt to follow subject one. Can you confirm? His flying skills are improving, but at this stage would not enable long-distance... Irrelevant. The head jumped in dismissively. His programming should compel him to use any means available. Possibly a minor malfunction, she speculated, dropping the text notes on the desk. But possibly a major one. Keep an eye especially close on that one's stats. She swiveled on her heel and in a flash was gone. The tech bit her lip. The heads, as intimately familiar with the details of their constructions as they were, Somehow, all seemed to forget that the subjects were not, in fact, robots. There was no malfunction. It was simply that the soul could not be programmed. Chapter 49 I was working through Italian spumoni on a cone as Fang and I threaded our way amidst the streaming crowds on the sidewalk. Those of you who haven't been to Vegas, well, it's bizarre in a sort of let's-gussy-up-this-car-wreck kind of way. It's Disney World meets the seedy underbelly of America but with more liquor and people smoking. A grown-up amusement park. I'm dying to go to a casino, I confessed to Fang. We'll have to throw ourselves three more birthday parties first, he said. It's illegal. We're underage. So when has that ever stopped us? I stared at him. That's just a way to make sure crazy kids don't spend all their parents' money. We're not crazy, and we don't have parents' money. Just our own hard-earned cash from all those CSM air shows we did. Which has got to be running low about now. You really want to risk losing it? Don't get all grown up on me. This is like our vacation for being grown-ups of the flock. And I want to go. I looked around the spectacularly campy scenery. There. Fang declared, pointing to a building in the shape of... A horse? It definitely topped the bizarre meter of novelty architecture. 
the Trojan horse. Suddenly, I was having second thoughts. Wasn't that like a giant sculpture that was full of enemy soldiers or something, back in the old days? Feng looked blank. Guess I missed that lesson in Max's homeschool. He took my hand. Come on. We strolled uneasily across the dizzying patterned carpet. Barbie doll women with trays of drinks were zipping around, helping people get loopy so they'd spend more money. Even without a drop of alcohol, it took about two seconds for me to become seized with a very unnatural need to gamble. Feng leaned close and whispered, Don't freak out, but there are cameras in the ceiling every couple feet. Ordinarily, that fact would guarantee I'd break out in hives. I noticed the guys in dark suits standing around watching everyone. Don't worry, they're just looking for cheaters. Cheaters? Us? I smiled. I guess we're safe. The flock had always looked a little older than our biological ages. Guess that came from being evolutionary wonders. But I was surprised that people didn't boot us out immediately. Imagine money being more important than law enforcement. We got a bunch of quarters and parked ourselves in front of a treasure island slot machine. I fed a quarter into the slot and pulled the arm. The wheel spun fast, eventually stopping with cherries, a weight, and the number seven. My eyes narrowed, and I pushed another quarter in. Another miss. That machine took my money, I said. I must have revenge. Fang, get on that machine next to me, I ordered, spilling half of my quarters into a separate plastic bucket for him. This could take a while. And so our hypnotic rally began. Seriously, those spinning wheels can really send you into the zone. I guess that's the point. Maybe that explains why it only took about 15 minutes for the machine to start messing with me. Because instead of cherries, bars, and numbers, I saw a cartoony wolf face pop up. Then another. Then another. Jackpot? Jackpot, Max. I heard the voice of Dr. Gunther Hagen come from behind me. Chapter 50 I walled around and saw no one. No psychotic mad scientist, anyway. Jackpot, Max. Jackpot. It was Fang, and he was giggling hysterically. For those of you joining us, Fang doesn't giggle, especially hysterically. So, for a second, this seemed like another one of the weirder dreams of recent days. Until Fang clutched my shoulders and started shaking me. Check it out, Max. The jingling sound of metal coins rushing out of Fang's machine suddenly entered my consciousness. Fang had morphed into a wide-eyed maniac, scrambling to scoop up all of the change into his cup. Then mine. Get another cup, he ordered, and I grabbed two more that had been orphaned nearby. While Fang focused on the money, I did a 360 and started to sweat. Downside of a jackpot? People notice you. And in our case, it wasn't all pat on the back, Oh, congratulations! How wonderful for you! It was more like, Who the hell are you? And could you possibly be 18 years old? As I saw figures moving toward us, I had a vision of troops inside the Trojan horse, flattening their enemy as they swarmed out. Out of here now, Fang, I said in my most don't-even-think-of-arguing-with-me voice. Clutching four heaping cups of coins, we booked it into a glass elevator that delivered us gambling fools down, down, down the leg of the Trojan horse to the ground level. Remind me to never go in a place called the Trojan horse again, I said. What are you talking about? It was good luck. Fang countered. Not exactly, I said, 
as the glass door slid open and Dr. Hooney Gooney was standing there to greet us. Chapter 51 Did I whirl instantly, fist clinch, legs tensing for battle? Or did I stay calm, act casual, walk right on by the dock as if I hadn't seen him? You guessed it. Neither. Instead, I dropped one of my cups of coins. Easily a couple hundred dollars. Fang seemed more upset by the spillage than the looming threat of evil. Hello, Max. Fang, said Dr. Gunther Hagen, smiling as he watched Fang scramble to recover his winnings. Strenching you here. I didn't think you were the gambling types. We're not, I said. Fang, leave that money for some poor soul who really needs it, I said. All Mother Teresa again. Except I didn't leave my cups of cash behind. I stepped out of the elevator, squinting the bright light. Why are you here? See, this is where my lack of social graces comes in handy. I don't waste time and energy thinking of what the nice thing to do is. I'm here for a professional convention, being held at one of the resorts. But why are you here? Where's the rest of the flock? At Ripley's, I said. So, what, you saw us and decided just to pop in, say hi? Yes, said Dr. Hans pleasantly. Is Dylan with you? How is he progressing? Dandy, I lied again. We left him over at one of the crab's tables, that way. I pointed back to the elevator. I'm sure he can't wait to see you. We have to go, said Fang, putting his hand on my arm. Wait, please, said Dr. Hans. I'm happy to have run into you. I wanted to reiterate what I said in Africa, and I wanted to make sure that you've received my offer for Iggy. Is it not compelling? You could give him the gift of sight, in return for a little cooperation. You could be invaluable to my project, because, well, you're a miracle, really. Gosh, a miracle. It had been ages since someone called me that. Actually, no one had ever called me that. You planning to turn Max into one of your mistakes? Fang asked, his face cold and still. Dr. G.H. looked around, as if realizing what a public place this was. He gestured us over towards some isolated benches in the entry plaza. The apocalypse is coming. You've been on a mission to save the world. Do you understand how you're supposed to do that? Okay, the details on that had been sketchy, but I wasn't about to admit it. By having you chop off one of my wings to see if it grows back? I don't think so. He went on. Max, I promise you will remain intact. My research will help current humans adapt so they can live in the radically different environment we'll all be facing. We estimate that more than half the world's population will simply disappear. I found a way to help keep some people alive long enough to ensure that the human race isn't extinguished entirely. His voice is pleading, his face earnest. You're a prince, I said, but I gave you my answer back in Africa. He paused a second, then continued. I anticipate people will be scared and worried. Most of them won't understand what I hope to accomplish. But if you were my spokesperson, demonstrating that being different can be wonderful and even necessary, then I could get many, many more people to understand and accept my program. Who did this guy think he was? The world's savior? Was that position even open? And what did he want me to be? A walking, talking, flying commercial? It seems like a worthy cause, I said. 
I felt Fang's muscles tense. Tell you what, I'll go ahead and jump on this crazy bandwagon. Count me in. Dr. Hans's eyes widened and a smile lit his face. Max, that's wonderful. My price is a million dollars. I know, I'm bad. My dear, he glanced with amusement at mine and Feng's hoard of coins. I do believe you just said you didn't need any money. I'm all about serious business, Doc, and I'm telling you that a million dollars is what it'll take for me to even consider this gig. I could see the wheels turning in his head. I bet those hamsters were tired. I could do a million dollars, he said slowly, nodding. Oh, I forgot. This guy was a billionaire arts patron, and he owned a bunch of huge pharma companies that bankrolled all of his plans. I'm into million dollars a day, I revised. Don't ever say I'm not a tough negotiator. This isn't a joke, Max, he said coldly. You might think carefully about what you say to me. You've already lied to me once today. I know the flock isn't with you. I know Dylan isn't here either, even though he should be. I felt Fang flinch next to me. You consistently ignore my advice, and you will regret it if you continue to do so. I have great resources at my disposal. I can help you tremendously, and I want to. I can also do the opposite of that. I stood my ground. You evil scientists are all the same. Evil. Count me out. Fang and I brushed past Dr. God and walked quickly but smoothly to the exit. It was barely noon, and I'd already made a huge enemy. Dang, I'm good. Chapter 52 Okay, try this one. Gazzy said, handing a hot rod magazine to Iggy. Gazzy guided his finger to touch the photograph on the page. Mostly red. I can feel that part. But let me try without touching it. He concentrated. Mmm, nice. Sort of curvy, but not like a Porsche. No, it's really low and flat, but... Not a Lamborghini. How about... Let me cheat a little here. He touched the picture again. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say... Bugatti? Gazzy jumped up. No way! I can't believe you got that! Hey, guys. You've gotta come out here. Dylan called urgently from the deck. What now? Nudge asked, pulling her earbuds out. She was in the middle of a what-not-to-wear download marathon. Probably another eraser attack, Iggy said, sounding bored. Angel scampered out into the blackness, ready to deliver orders from the deck if necessary. Ugh, Nudge whined. I wish they'd wait till I finish this episode. Seriously, guys, Dylan insisted, but he sounded excited. The sky is amazing tonight. Check it out. Oh, joy. Iggy scowled, then softened his tone. Go ahead, Gaz, he said. All this vision stuff has me tired out. Minutes later, the flock had peeled themselves away from what they had been doing, and were stepping out onto the deck in the cool night air. Even Iggy decided to join the crew. Dylan was flat on his back. The deck was only just as wide as he was tall. Come down here, he instructed. It's way better this way. You don't have to crane your neck. Can you believe what's going on up there? I don't see much going on, Nudge said. There's a lot of stars, though. Jeb taught us the constellations, Angel said, a little wistfully, 
after they had all situated themselves. A long time ago. What are they? Dylan asked blankly. Gosh, you do need help, don't you? Gazzy commented. You should have gone to Max's homeschool. Dylan chuffed. <laughs> yeah, a little late for that. Well, for starters, there's the Little Dipper. It was Jeb's voice from inside. He'd appeared from behind the screen door quietly. Can you see it, guys? Do you remember? Yeah, I used to call them dipsticks. Gezi reminisced. Back when I was a dumb little kid. I know Orion, Nudge bragged. I see his belt over there about two o'clock. Jeb, can you show us again? Angel asked, sounding like her more younger, more innocent self. Like Cassipia, Andromna, Cancer and stuff? I'm totally confused about what you guys are talking about, Dylan said. With you on that, Dill. Iggy put his feet on the wooden deck rail and his hands behind his head, staring up at nothing. Can't you see that meteor? Dylan asked. Over there. See? The flame is almost like... Greenish. Whoa, it's getting bigger. Man, how can you not see that? Iggy snickered. Dude, even I know that shooting stars last for, like, less than a second. Oh! Angel cried, just as the flaming tail appeared in the sky, fast as a flash of lightning. Nice one! Nudge cheered. How'd you know it was coming, Dylan? I could see it. I don't know how you guys missed- Oh! There's another one coming, right over there. Dylan pointed left with conviction. Everyone was quiet. Iggy broke the silence. I can see the International Space Station too, he said. Seconds later, they all drew in their breaths as another flash exploded in the sky. Must be a meteor shower, Jeb speculated. Dylan nodded. Yep, yeah, I see one, no, two, three more coming. Look. Jeb slid the door open and took a step out onto the deck, fascinated. One, he counted as they appeared several moments later. Two, three. <whistles> Gazzy gave a low whistle. Dylan? Angel asked very quietly. Can you see the future? Dylan paused. I, I don't know, he answered. I guess I just see really well. He squinted. And I hate to say this, Iggy, but I can actually see the International Space Station. Cool, man, Iggy said. Hey, by the way, can you spare one of your superhero eyeballs for me, Dill? Dylan laughed. All yours, Iggy. If you can see so well, Dylan, Angel asked curiously, why didn't you see those erasers coming? For that, Dylan had no answer. Chapter 53 there is no way those people aren't genetically modified, I said, taking another handful of popcorn. In the other city that never sleeps, we weren't sleeping. In fact, we were at one of the Cirque du Soleil's, watching some little Chinese girls fold themselves in knots while spinning plates on their feet and balancing balls on their heads. It's completely unnatural, Feng agreed. So they're mutants, they're weird, and here they are, holding down jobs. There is hope after all. I ate more popcorn, unable to tear my eyes away from people doing stuff that I just couldn't believe they could do. We'd just come from the MGM resort, where it had happened to be cub day. They'd had two super cute lion cubs playing in a huge, glassed-in area. 
Now, why couldn't they have put just a smidge of line DNA into our mix? I'd asked. That would be so cool. Fengit groaned. That's all we need. Another 2% of something else in our genes. Excellent. Still, just a touch of line. We'd even be stronger, faster, I'd said wistfully. And more graceful. You're already strong, fast, and somewhat graceful sometimes, Fengit said. You want fuzzy ears? I had dropped the subject. But now, looking at act after act of inhumanly flexible and powerful humans, I almost wanted just a little touch of something else. I'm thinking those kids have extra vertebrae, I whispered to Feng. Be happy with your 98 2% split, he whispered back. Next thing you know, you'll be grafted with, like, DNA from an elephant seal. Or a bear. Where's Max? Oh, she's hibernating, Feng said. I'd just taken a sip of soda, and now my graceful self snorted it through my nose. Max. What? Oh, voice. Sup? Get out of there, now. Without hesitation, I got to my feet. Feng looked at me in surprise, saw the expression on my face, and immediately got up too. I did a fast scan, and saw guards at each entrance, but they didn't seem to be paying attention to us. So where? Max, up. I crouched down, ready to jump into the air and take flight at the slightest sign of danger. But in the next second, strong arms grabbed me. Hey, and thanks for listening to another episode of Maximum Crime, a Max Raid bootleg audiobook podcast. Thing. I am your Olivet Marky, and we got another Spotify Q&A message from our good friend Dylan, who said, I'd forgotten about TF2 until you reminded me of it. Good ol' Xbox days. Dylan M. He him. Thank you for normalizing pronouns. Keep posting so I don't fall asleep at work. Most other audiobook authors don't act out characters. Thank you, Dylan. I'm really glad to help keep you from falling asleep at work. Yeah, I've said this before, but I tend to listen to books rather than read them just because it's easier. Um, I can kind of multitask while reading, which is fun. Um, but yeah, there have been a there have been a lot of very disappointing audiobooks that just it's kind of one voice throughout, which is hard to uh, hard to keep track of characters and stuff like that if you're not paying super close attention. Which is why I thought I would try to do character voices in mine. Uh, I know I'm not very good at some of them. I've only got one voice. I can only do so much with it. But yeah, I'm sure trying, and I appreciate that you enjoy that. Uh, I kind of want to be a voice actor, kind of amateur voice actor, so this is good practice for that, I think. Also, I am so sorry about the German accent. I'm working on it, and it's very slow going. <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you for listening, though. Thank you, Dylan. Good to hear from you. Alright, let us move on to the recommendation for this week. This week's recommendation is the movie The Menu, directed by Mark Mould. So, this movie is about a couple that goes to this uh, island that's owned by this chef, it's basically impossible to get into this restaurant that he owns because he has like, he's like a world, world, world famous chef and you know, the type of character. Uh, but when they get there, some, some weird stuff starts happening with the menu. But it's a very interesting delve into 
kind of the culture of extremely fancy dining, I guess. Just, you know, people who have too much money to know what to do with. I saw somebody call this an eat the rich film, and yeah, it kind of is. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it, though. I saw some gift sets of it, and I was like, ooh, wait, I should check that out, and it was amazing. So it is a horror movie, but it's not extremely gory or scary. It's more suspenseful. I watched it with some friends, and we had a really good time with it. But yeah, if that sounds interesting to you, that is the movie The Menu, and I will leave the IMDb link to it in the show notes below. Alright, if you want to get in contact with me, you can email me at MaximumCrimePod at gmail.com or hit me up on my Tumblr over at Maximum-Crime-Pod. And if you want to leave a rating review, that would be super cool of you to do. Alrighty, that's all I gotta say for this week. So, until next time, fly on.